Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler, one of the big stars for me, and I think a lot of people in and around outsports at the Olympic Games was Raven Saunders, the American shot putter, who really went there with a style all her own, dyed her hair, wore these really funky masks, and calls herself Hulk. If you follow her on social media, she's got a fantastic sense of humor, um, lots of smiles, and leading up to the games, gosh, <laughs> there weren't many people I was cheering for as, as hard as I was cheering for Raven, and to see her with this big personality, wrapping herself in the American flag, and 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 just being such a, 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 it's a beacon, a, a light at the Olympics. Uh, was was just so cool, and to see the success, and immediately uh, I was like, Raven, can we talk? And and she said, Oh yeah, you have to run it through USA Track and Field. Well, USA Track and Field is is a big bureaucracy. Thankfully, months later, uh, she now has a publicist. She's sponsored by Nike, among other folks, and I got to catch up with Raven for 20, 25 minutes. We talked about that day she won that Olympic silver medal what was going through her head, how she prepared for it, and how her personality completely changes on competition day. How you don't want to get near Raven Saunders because she's not going to say hi. She might not be nice about it. (laughs) I think it's so cool hearing her talk about that. She also talks about that ex that she, she held her hands over her arms over her head on the podium after she received her medal, uh, as she says, the one to protest, it was just kind of a demonstration, um, trying to bring together people and, and the concept of intersectionality and how we're all in this together. Talk about that. We talk about her struggles with mental health and what's important to her in that space and a whole lot of other things. Uh, this is one of my one of the bubbliest conversations that I've had on this podcast. She, her personality is just wonderful and effervescent. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Olympic medalist Raven Saunders. Raven, thank you so much for joining me. I have been waiting to have this conversation for for several months. Um, you popped up on our radar back early last summer. And one of the reasons you popped up on a radar wasn't just what you were doing uh, in the track and field, but your big style, the, 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 the hair, the masks. How long have you been dyeing your hair and how did that all come about? Uh, man, I'm actually dyeing my hair again today. <laughs> but dyeing my hair became like an outward way of uh, expression um, in track and field. I feel like especially when we wear uniforms or, you know, you get sponsored by the same brands, everyone starts to look the same. So I use it as a way to stand out, to be different, um, to show my personality, um, to show how crazy I really could get. You know, speaking of sponsors, who are some of the sponsors of, who have come along to support you? Uh, so I'm sponsored by Nike, you know, checks out the stripes. <laughs> um, Nike and Lidos, they've been really great. Um, Smart Recovery, they've been really great and you know, sharing a lot of their products. Um, and also uh right now I'm I'm actually in the process of working with some other people, so we won't speak until we finalize those deals. 
So it's interesting. You talk about how people get sponsored and, and, and a lot of times suddenly they go into a shell and they start corporate speak and they start being really careful about what they say and how they look. Have those corporations had those conversations with you? Have they asked you to tone it down or has it been part of what's attracted them to you? I feel like that's been a part of the attraction to, to myself is that people understand that Raven is going to be Raven. Um, you know, my friend's like, oh, yeah, that's just Raven, <laughs> which is a saying. And I feel like you can kind of see that with how I represent myself and how I carry myself. And thankfully, they haven't asked me to tone it down. They've more so asked, like, how can they help me um, be freely myself and show that and present that to the world? And that's one of the things that I've been more so and greatly appreciative of, especially after hearing stories of previous athletes who've dealt with corporations who've done that, who've con continuously tried to change them into people they weren't. I feel like it's a change in corporate America that today with, with particularly youth expressing themselves in so many different ways that when you have an athlete like yourself uh, or an Adam Rippon, you know, back a few years ago at the Olympics who really just stood out and, right. and, and not that you were looking to stand out, you were just expressing yourself fully. And I feel like corporations are starting to come around that this is actually a good thing and it's a good thing for kids to see. Right, because especially when you think about the youth, right? And we all think back to when we were kids, that freedom of expression was so freely accepted and appreciated and loved. And that was the, the attraction of the youth. Like they were so young to think freely and be freely and do what it was they wanted to do in order to find themselves. And it's as we've gotten older, then it's like, you have to fit into this box and you have to be this way. And I find that, you know, with these, the younger and newer generations, you know, we don't want to get into a position to where we're old and we're all alike. We don't want to be robots anymore. We just want to be ourselves, whatever that may look like. Tell me about the masks, because the masks is one of the one of the great parts of, of, of your style. Just how did you go about choosing a couple of those, particularly the Joker mask? It was one of those things. So when I'm in competition, I try to tell people this, and it's so hard to explain, but I'm a totally different person. <laughs> so the mat, but people like some of my competitors will still be talking and laughing and smiling and, you know, friendly. And that's that's just not me, <laughs> not not during the competitions. Uh, I'll smile afterwards, but before no. So the Joker was like kind of a play to be like sinister, but like still smile. Um, <laughs> so it was a scary smile more so. So that, here you have this bubbly, fun, effervescent personality shows up all over social media, but during competition, that's not you. Not even close. Like, it's so funny when my friends, especially when I first got into the sport, started seeing that when they would see me at track meets, that I would be in such a tunnel vision mode. They'd be like, oh, hey, Raven House. And I'd be like, and then I'm like, just keep going. Like, whatever it is I'm doing or whatever my mind is set on, the most that you can get out of me is like a nod or if we're in a competition, okay, what's, what time is check-in? Or if I'm competing and my friend's competing, what time are you competing? And that's about it. That's it. <laughs> what do you remember about that day, the competition where you threw a silver medal winning throw at the Olympic Games? Oh, I remember peace. 
um, I remember complete focusness um, from the moment that I woke up. I made sure I went to breakfast before too many people so I didn't have to interact or uh, converse with that many people. Uh, A lot of my music was like gospel and like very like zen and relaxing just because I knew of the energy of the day. I really was trying to have to suppress how hype I got until it got time for that competition. And then when that last like hour and a half to two hours before the competition, I just started letting it go. Um, I didn't let any, no one was talking to me. Like my headphones were in, like, unless you were my coach or medical staff or a teammate that's like competing at the same time that I'm trying to like, we're feeding off of each other's energy. I was in there. Uh, there was even a point where they recorded me and I'm like, I do this thing where I walk off to myself and I'll talk in a corner or like to a wall or to a fence or whatever. And it's like, I'm talking to the mirror image of myself uh, in like that corner before I go out and just so like, yo, you got to get this going to happen. Today's your day. And like, I'm like from the jump the whole day, I'm like from the first throw, you let it be known. Like from the first throw, you set the tone. And it was crazy because the first throw still would have gotten me that silver medal. So you throw this, I was, I was watching the, uh, the results because I couldn't watch it live, but I was watching the results. And after the first throw, I said, oh, oh my goodness. Wait, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> after you throw that throw, it's six throws, right? Is it six yes. you get? And that must take an hour, hour and a half to get through everybody. Yeah. What is going through your mind as you're in a position to win a medal from the first throw and you want to improve that throw, but it's almost like psychologically a waiting period. Like, oh God, I I just got to hope nobody else beats that. (laughs) Like for me, I'm I'm, like, I train for these moments. Like, you know, people are like, I, I specifically trained for it. So I put myself mentally in practice situations where these throws, I'm in throw one, these throws and throw two. And I constantly remind myself, as long as someone else has a throw, you are not safe. There is no such thing as safe during a competition. So during a comp, I'm like, you have to do better. That's not going to guarantee it. Because I already said what had guaranteed a medal every previous Olympics, what it would take. And I'm like, you have to do better. You have to do better. Um, but I knew that after the first or I had everyone kind of where I wanted them to based on knowing my competitors and knowing how everyone competes. Um, and it, it man, it was fun. <laughs> it was a whole lot of fun. Those, those fouls suck, man. It, it, those fouls messed up my plan, but it still, it still worked out pretty decently. <laughs> so you, you win Olympic silver medal. Uh, how much how much longer after that is the award ceremony? It was that evening. So we had the competition about, what was that? I believe it was like 10 or 11 o'clock that morning. And award ceremony was around like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock okay. that, that, that night. So we had about like seven hours, seven to eight hours. But then you had to go through drug testing and, uh, you know, the media and then you had to get back on the bus and then you had to ride back over and then you had to shower and eat and get back. It was really no time. <laughs> had you already planned to raise your hands in an X before your competition? I was trying to figure out what exactly my, my standpoint was going to be and what my stance was going to be. Um, 
I felt like my message and the message that I brought had like multi-purposes because I understood so many different fights. Um, and prior to, we, we had a group message talking about the X inside of a circle representing the X, the intersection where all people who are oppressed meet uh, via uh, Team USA. And we had like this whole series. Of, I, I still probably have the message in my phone. Um, and I was like, man, that'd be perfect. So going, I think it was in between actually winning, I, I had a chance to uh, talk to Gwen about like, you know, when I would do it. Um, and she was like, because, you know, Gwen had held her fist up and she had gotten reprimanded because of that. So she was a great person to talk to because she was like, make sure you wait until after their national anthem plays and you do it during the pictures. Because at that point, technically, the ceremony has concluded because they've done that. They've presented your medals. You've done mm -hmm. that. It's just a photo op at that point. And it's everybody's shared moment because you're just getting a picture on the stand. Um, so at that moment, I knew. And then we went back and it was like some tit for tat things when it came to restrictions and things that we couldn't do or couldn't wear, like on the stand, like something as simple as a watch. Um, and I was like, man, like whatever, like this is not like, <laughs> I do stuff like this. Like y'all are giving me even more of a reason just to say like, whatever, let's go. Like, let me hold my people up. Like that, that, yeah. <laughs> the, the, so the backlash at home there was two camps, big shocker. One, we love her even more. Like she's a standout, <laughs> amazing, um, self-expressed person. And then there was a whole other part of America that was like, typical, she's just trying to bring attention to herself. This isn't the place for it. <laughs> I'm sure the first part, the first group made you feel good. What did you think of the other people who thought, oh, this is just some self-absorbed athlete? See, the other part was something that I had a chance to like prepare for when Gwen went through because Gwen is literally like one of my closest friends. So I'd already seen it and I knew to like block out the stuff. So I would block people or, you know, like me, I'm a goofy person. So like one guy made a comment and they, I made like a goofy video with me, like with the clip of me twerking from the Olympics, like, ha ha. <laughs> like, that's, that's my style of my personality because especially you know for anyone any person who you may be and especially if you're a young person coming up you have to understand that when you're trying to find yourself and learn who you are you can't concern yourself about the people that won't like you because those people don't matter anyways like you're going to have to live with yourself and go home at the end of the day so I knew that there was a whole group of people that I that would identify with me that are afraid to be themselves on a day-to-day, -day, that are afraid of backlash and scrutiny, that aren't comfortable or aren't in a position to openly just be themselves and celebrate themselves. And for me to accomplish something as momentous as that, there's no way that I was going to care what somebody sitting on the couch eating some potato chips thinks of me in that moment that I worked my whole life fighting for. No way. No way. So... Right after this happened, the IOC um, said they were going to wait till after the Olympics to sanction you. Right. Did they sanction you? No. Um, honestly, I was making funny TikToks about it the whole entire time. Like I was making fun. I was. It was. I was poking a bear. I definitely was. Yeah. <laughs> I was making tweets. I was. <laughs> I was enjoying it because, like, my thing was when it came to the whole. It was like. I didn't understand why they were coming after me because literally 
what I said and what I stated and what I stand for literally, literally is, is their mantra, like is what they stand for, trying to bring people from all around the world to celebrate one another. And that's all that I talked about and all that I wanted to do um, in that moment. And they didn't, because um, after my mom passed, they put it on suspension and then they came back and they sent me an email. Um, but yeah. They, so they essentially said, what, please don't do that again? Like, pretty, that much, pretty much like, you know, like, please don't. <laughs> so do you understand why they, they may want to not have a free for all? Why they may want to have, you know, some limitations to, to what you can wear, what you can do, or do you just think it should be a free for all when it comes to, you know, political speech at the Olympics and those kinds of things? I feel like there's, there's definitely more that can be, you know, done in that area. And I feel like how they go about doing it in certain cases are, are different than others. Like mine wasn't a protest. Like I literally was just bringing awareness to like people, like, People were trying to like break it down just to try and find something. And and I get it. Like there are certain things that can be construed in certain places, but when you really look at like as to why and how and for what reasons they do and say these things and put them in place, it's not right. Um, and for people that come from many places that work their behinds off to make the Olympics what it is, um, I feel like it's very frustrating for us that, you know, Sport isn't just sport, and everyone knows that. The uh, sport has a long history. I mean, dating back to the early Olympics of of politics and and social justice, and 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 I agree. I mean, to to, to ignore the history of the Olympics, the very foundation of the Olympics. Um, right. Is, uh, is is short-sighted. But I'm thrilled to hear that they didn't actually sanction you because that would have been ridiculous. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, so, you know, I know that mental health and health and self-love are, are, are core to your message and core to the work you do. And here you are at top of the world, win Olympic medal, and then you have the IOC reprimanding you publicly, and then you have your mother passes away. Take me to those few days. It was really a whirlwind. Um, I really feel like I didn't even have like a chance to really wrap my head around everything, like because it was just so many emotions. And I remember um, like the day before, like uh, it happened, like um, or earlier that day, which would have been night from mom was like, yeah, just be careful about like you know, did you post about it because people were trying to switch my words. So like, you know, her still being a mother and being concerned. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, don't worry. Like, you know, I have the backing up, but when it happened, I was just, I don't know. I was just trying to keep going, um, just to keep going. Uh, and I had like a lot of support, um, a lot of friends and it was a lot. And I really just needed a moment to like kind of breathe and be to myself. Um, and I feel like that was kind of hard because I just won Olympics. I have this and I have that and I have this and I have that. Um, so it just became a lot. Uh, what What is core to the, your work around mental health? What What are some of the things when you speak about it that you talk most about? Is self-awareness um, is the first thing. 
and then also your support system. Um, realizing self-awareness is so important because we get into a habit of constantly telling people and ourselves that we're okay, even in moments and times when we're not okay, that we've become so desensitized to the fact of recognizing when we truly aren't okay. And I find that when you learn to be self-aware and recognizing your triggers and certain things that rub you the wrong way, or recognizing, hey, I am in this depressive funk, I need to reach out or say something, that's when your support comes in at, saying something to someone, anyone. Um, and then constantly trying to make or find things or do things to, to help that. Um, because even for me, honestly, I'm not even gonna lie to you. Um, as of recently, like I, I've talked to my team, I've been going through like a depressive episode. Um, the holidays are coming up, um, things have been getting tough, but still trying to be productive, but also finding things that I need to do, um, such as getting back into meditation, uh, reaching back out to my therapist, um, talking to my closest friends, letting them know, and having people that I can personally like just cry in front of and vent to. Um, those things, like, though it may be hard, especially in the moment, and still trying to find a way to keep going, um, as time goes, it gets easier. And I know that eventually it will get easier, which is the part that is like, all right, like, come on, get out of bed today. All right, come on, I need you to brush your teeth. Like, all right, like, you know, you really have to kind of be your biggest supporter in that sense. How can you tell, this is something that I struggle with, I get sad. Things right. happen. I get disappointed. I get sad. You know, on a daily basis, weekly basis. Right. How do you identify in yourself the difference between being sad about something and really having a mental health issue that you need help with? For me, it became when things would become compiled. It was like a snowball. So being sad about something like, oh, well, this happened. Well, I'm just down. And then I could, you know, bounce back, but it'd be like, okay, this happened. And then this happened, then I'm reminiscing on this and that. And then I have all of these things going on and then something traumatic happens. And now I'm thinking about all these things that I have going on, the traumatic thing, and then the fact that can't anything go right. And then it's like, well, something else happens. And now I have all of these things that are like harnessing inside of my brain at one time with that's like, you're constantly trying to fight and like put out fires everywhere. And it's like, nothing is going out. It's kind of like how it feels like um, personally inside. And then you get into a, a, a state of, well, I just can't do anything right. Or, well, can't anything go right? Or nothing will go right. Um, and then you go to the whole loss of motivation phase of, well, I can't do anything right. So there's no point in me even trying. I don't want to do this. So like, it's, it's about learning the phases and learning at what point you are at. Um, because I've learned, okay, if I'm here, I know how to operate. If I'm here, this is how I have to operate. If I'm here, this is how I have to go about it. And it's very hard. Like I, it's easier said than done because it's taken so long to learn it, but it's a daily fight. And when you get to a place of, knowing how to handle it or knowing your triggers it makes it easier like things are going to just be rainbows and sunshines and peaches and roses and peaches and cream but it definitely makes going through those phases so much easier so much easier to get out of 
Yeah, I, I, uh, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting distinction and, and, and it's one that we're all learning about. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, 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 it's really great that you are focusing on this, you know, this bubbly, effervescent, super fun online personality, you know, who has real issues and, right. and can talk from that personality about these things being real issues. Exactly. And I feel like more of us need to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question for you, going all the way back to the Olympics. So last May, we at Outsports went about finding as many LGBTQ Olympians who were out as we possibly could. And that list started when the Olympics started about 121 and it ended up at 186 out athletes in Tokyo. And I know you saw that. And I know that, uh, you know, you said you're really proud to be part of that. How did it make you feel have 186 out Olympians in Tokyo? It felt great. Like it feels so amazing. Like, I don't, I don't know, like being, being an LBGCQ athlete and growing up and seeing these things and literally remembering when like gay marriage was passed and seeing how, like thinking back to like the early 2000s of how gay athletes had to be in the closet or, you know, there were things talked about them. And now seeing this list of 181 plus athletes that were open, I'm like, yo, this is like, where's the Skittles campaign? Like they, they really missed out on some, some endorsement deals here. Like I was, it was fun. And, and the fact of you guys like celebrating that even inside of the village, you could like feel it, you know, like certain athletes was like, you know, Hey, like, you know, just us being able to like talk and, you know, being able to understand like, Oh, like, yeah, you're, you're one of, you're, you're one of, Oh, like, it became more of like, you know, you gain more friendships too, knowing more people and feeling like and knowing for a fact that I'm not alone. So as you were interacting with other athletes, they, they heard about the list. They knew you were on the list. They talked about being on it. Yeah. Like, um, because shoot, I knew, um, Ayana, um, I knew shoot a lot of the rugby players, <laughs> um, some of the rugby girls, um, and we were talking about, and actually a couple of the girls from the list who were on TikTok, I was like, man, like, we got to try and do something. But like time-wise and our schedules, like, just completely messed it up, man. Paris is in just three and a half years, so we'll have to plan something in Paris. <laughs> we definitely, listen, um, that would be insane. Insane. I'm down for it. Whatever it is, you keep me updated. I'm here for it. <laughs> Well, Raven, I so appreciate your time. Congratulations on all of the success. And, and as I tell every Olympian, if there's ever anything we can do to support you, to promote, don't hesitate to reach out. Yes, sir. You can find Raven Saunders on Twitter and Instagram. On Instagram, she something happened with her Instagram account uh, and it got deactivated with 73,000 followers. She's got about 1,000 followers now. So you find somebody with 1,000 followers, that's her, and hoping that she gets that account back. Uh, one of the cool things also, I just want to mention, you know, she, she wraps herself in the rainbow flag, but she also, uh, the American flag, but she also wraps herself in the rainbow flag. She puts LGBTQ right on her profile, the rainbow flag. And it's just really, or just so great to see uh, an elite level athlete just, not just say she's LGBTQ, but really embrace it and embrace that and be proud of that part of her identity. So I just want to thank Raven again 
for joining me and, and her publicist, Jerry, for putting it together. Uh, I hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you next week.